West Springfield High School's Applied History Presents, FCPS Through the Decades, Chapter 3, 1930 to 1940. Hello and welcome to the third episode of FCPS Through the Decades, the educational and hopefully entertaining podcast where we examine important decades in Fairfax County Public Schools history and analyze how these events relate to a broader cultural and historic perspective hosted by me, your favorite temporary unpaid intern, Eric Tannehill. In this chapter of FCPS history, we will discuss the consolidation movement, the unexpected consequences of the Great Depression, and what World War II meant for students. Arguably, one of the most important parts of FCPS history took place during the 30s. The consolidation era marks a time when there was a push to transition from multiple small schools to a few large schools. W.T. Woodson became superintendent in 1929, and he truly led the movement towards larger schools. His predecessor, Milton Delaney Hall, tried to do something similar in the late 1910s, but Fairfax's roads and other forms of transit were so bad that it made consolidation a logistical nightmare. However, as I mentioned in the last episode, in 1932, the Virginia General Assembly passed the Bird Road Act, creating the forerunner to the Virginia Department of Transportation, and a year later, in 1933, Fairfax, along with 89 other counties, opted in to state control of the secondary road system. Secondary roads were given route numbers, and rapid improvements were made to local roadways, making it possible for school buses to become a reliable mode of transportation. Now, this movement was not without controversy. Woodson had to overcome the objections of parents to the closure of their local schools. The best example of the locals resisting change was the last one-room schoolhouse for white children, called Sidenstricker School, which closed in 1939, five years later after it closed in 1934. No, you did not mishear me. Seidenstricker was closed by the county in 1934 during consolidation, but the parents threw such a fit about their children having to be bused to Burke that the school board reopened the building from 1937 to 1939, after which it closed permanently. But there was still one thing to sort out, busing. The two hurdles to consolidation in terms of transportation were the school system needed to acquire a lot of school buses and parents needed to be convinced that buses weren't a death trap. Here's an excerpt from an interview with W.T. Woodson where he talks about some of these challenges. One of the difficulties in consolidating then there was, were roads, poor roads. You couldn't operate buses over many of those roads. And some of the buses that were used at first were just makeshift buses. Uh, most of them were uh, trucks owned by local farmers who would put on a homemade bus body to serve to haul the children to school in the wintertime. And they would take those bodies off in the summer or maybe on Saturdays and weekends and haul pigs and cows stock <laughs> in those same uh, trucks. So they were some of the, our earliest problems. I'd say practically in all communities there was considerable opposition to closing the one-room school. The argument was uh, that the school was good enough for me, it's good enough for my father and mother, and for my grandparents, it's good enough for my son and daughter. Then, too, they had fair buses. They're going to put them on those buses, and they're going to get killed. They're going to get broken up and killed. We want to stay right here. And there was considerable opposition to overcome. As many of you who've listened to previous episodes of this podcast may have guessed, the consolidation movement and overall improvements to the school system helped white children and neglected black children. The last one-room schoolhouse for African-American children was the Springbank School, which closed in 1948. Frankly, throughout most of U.S. history, especially in the South, the line, it was good for white people and either didn't help or actively harmed people of color is 
probably applicable in some way. The greater problem, no pun intended, Fairfax County and America as a whole faced in the 1930s was the Great Depression. When he was interviewed in 1970, William West described the efforts of the African-American community in the 1930s to construct a new schoolhouse in Vienna. According to West, the community decided to pursue a Rosenwald Foundation grant and raised matching funds as stipulated by the foundation. However, by 1932, the Rosenwald Foundation had run out of funding for school construction projects. Undeterred, the community and Principal Louise Archer continued to impress upon the Fairfax County School Board the need for a new school. And in April 1938, the school board expressed its willingness to construct a school as soon as funding became available. During the Depression, Fairfax County Public Schools was actually able to expand due to increased funding. It received financial assistance to build new schools like Fairfax High School and the Vienna Colored School which would later be known as the Louise Archer School in Vienna, and many, many others from the Federal Government's Public Works Administration, or PWA. The PWA was part of the alphabet soup of federal agencies created by President Roosevelt's New Deal, not to be confused with the WPA, the Works Progress Administration, which did not build schools. Interesting fact, many of the PWA-funded buildings that were constructed in Fairfax County are still in use today, namely Centerville, Lorton, Woodlawn, Fairview, Burke, Don Loring, and Louise Archer. By 1940, FCPS had 39 elementary schools and four fully accredited four-year high schools and a total student population of 6,899. The number of teachers increased from 167 in 1931 to 246 in 1940. Want to guess if this meant African Americans would finally get their own high school in Fairfax County? Mr. Clark, on our zero-dollar budget, can we afford the licensing music for the Jeopardy song? Sure thing. Really? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Well, let's be honest. You don't need game show music to figure out the schooling system in the South during the time of Jim Crow laws was racist. There were some out-of-county options available, but financial barriers kept the vast majority of African-American children from pursuing higher education. However, Fairfax County began offering a publicly funded option for high school education for African-American children. In 1937, the Fairfax County School Board, along with the school boards of Prince William and Fakir counties, purchased the Manassas Industrial School for Colored Youth. Also known as the Jenny Dean School after its founder, the Manassas School became a regional high school for students from all three counties, and bus service was provided daily for children from Fairfax County. A high school for African-American students that was actually exclusive to FCPS wouldn't come till the mid-50s. We managed to compile a couple audio clips of people who went to the Jenny Dean High School talking about some of their memories and experiences. The people you'll hear in this next clip are Yvonne Jeanette Hill, Paul Jones, Joanne Jordan, and Viola Taylor. Uh, if I didn't get that elementary education, <laughs> I don't know what I would have done because high school was not meant for us. You know, they didn't have a high school. These Children were sent, uh, if they could afford it, because you had to pay a tuition to, to go to D.C. So the school board made a contract with the, uh, Prince William County to send these kids to Manassas. But it was a trip. We have to get at 4.30 in the morning, get this stuff ready, walk from here to Lee Highway to catch this bus that's going to pick up children in Fall Church. And the bus would pick us up. It would turn uh, right there at Gallows, going to pick up the Dunlawn kids. And we go from there to McLean, pick up kids, and go to Vienna. From Vienna, we would go, <laughs> we would go to Centerville, and you go all the way down to 234 to go before we could get to the school. 
my nasty and left the high school with Jenny Dean started. I was born in Falls Church, Virginia, so, and I graduated from uh, James Lee Elementary School in the seventh grade. That was as far as I could go in Fairfax County. So uh, I was bus up, up there to Manassas each day for two years. The bus picked us up around 7 or 7.30, and it was a Riley bus. <laughs> 99 times every week we'd be sitting on the highway waiting for someone to come and get us. We, we carried our lunch. We carried our lunch. We ate it before we got to school because we'd be so hungry. <laughs> and when lunchtime come, we would go to the cafeteria, and the teacher would be feel sorry for us, and she would give us a sandwich or soup or something to last up. Our bus driver was named Clinton Turner, and there was another bus driver named Rep. Mr. Reverend Phillips. So they would be on Route 50, which was two lane, and they would have races sometimes. That would be, that was nice. nice. Um, they would, we would say, which one, which bus would beat the other bus? Get them, Reverend Phillips. Get them, Clint. Get them, Clint. And our bus driver, we used to call him uh, Mr. Big, Big Ben. He was a little short guy. but So he drove our bus for many years. But we had time, uh, you know, 27 miles one way. We had time to get to the, talk to each other. And coming back, we could sleep. You know, we were tired, whatever. But it was, it was an experience. We did not feel deprived. We had good teachers who were interested in making sure you know, they talk to you and kind of find out what you like to do. I remember when I was even in the uh, eighth, ninth grade talking to my teachers, I kind of knew what I wanted to do because I always wanted to be in an office, you know, and I, that's what I ended up doing. I, that's, that's became what I did. I went to work in an office uh, environment because I, I learned to type, first learned to type while I was there at school. The Fairfax County would be pressured by the tenors and all in Maryfield, all through the county, to build something. So this is when Luther Jackson was uh, first born, well, in 54. One other interesting thing that happened to Fairfax County in the 1930s, and by extension its schools, is apparently it was annexed, like, multiple times. The next part is going to make a lot more sense to locals, so if you're not from Fairfax or if you're like me and just directionally challenged, we'll attach a map in the additional show notes. Basically, by 1930, the city of Alexandria had carried out its second annexation of Fairfax County land. This annexed territory was bounded by Route 7 on the north, Quaker Lane on the west, and Little River Turnpike or Duke Street on the south. The seminary school, which had been built with Rosenwald Foundation funding in 1925, was annexed by the city of Alexandria. African-American children living on the Fairfax County side of the line were suddenly without their neighborhood school. A tuition agreement was set up between the county and the city for many years, but ultimately, the children were eventually bused elsewhere in Fairfax County. If you want another example of land disputes complicating schools, have I got a story for you. There were some changes in the school legislation in the 1940s, which affected town school boards, and the people of Falls Church were super mad about it. In 1942, legislation by the Virginia General Assembly transferred ownership of the schools in the town of Falls Church from the town of Falls Church School Board to the Fairfax County School Board. The people of Falls Church were very protective of their schools and wanted to have greater control over them, and this became one of the driving factors that led to the town of Falls Church incorporating as a city in 1948. 
1948, FCPS was operating three elementary schools and one high school within the city boundaries. After the city formed, Fairfax County retained ownership of Oak Street Elementary School and Falls Church High School, which, when the city had to build its own high school, the name became a real sticking point because they wanted to use the name Falls Church for their high school. And FCPS said, no. So the city built George Mason High School on land outside the city boundary in Fairfax County, and FCPS continued sending children to its high school in the city. If you think this sounds like a ridiculous hot mess, that would be correct. Until January 2014, George Mason High School was still located in Fairfax County. How was this land dispute resolved, you ask? Would you believe me if I told you the answer was water? I mean, it's true. The school's land was transferred to the city in 2014 as part of a water system purchase agreement between the county and the city. Interesting aside, George Mason High School was recently renamed Meridian High School. The name has historic significance because Falls Church is on the Meridian Line that was created when Washington, D.C. was formed and part of Virginia became part of the city. But that's a whole other story. While school consolidation in the 1930s was arguably one of the biggest changes to affect Fairfax County public schools during the first hundred years of its existence, another equally massive change was just on the horizon. It all began on December 7th, 1941. A day which will live in infamy. So said President Roosevelt, or my boss Jeff Clark, regarding the United States' entry into World War II. During World War II, FCPS experienced a teacher shortage like other school districts around the nation. Many male teachers were drafted or enlisted in the armed services, but female teachers left too for higher paying jobs in defense work. The greatest need for educators was at the high school level where there were shortages of qualified teachers for industrial arts, physical education, physics, and mathematics. Superintendent Woodson later wrote that FCPS also experienced a shortage of janitors during the war. And at one high school, the Victory Corps assumed that function. And as a result, the students took more pride in the appearance of the building and its grounds. As a bit of a side tangent, Victory Corps was a program started in America during World War II that gave military training to high school students. It was founded in 1942 and was meant to prepare students for possible military service or other forms of participation in the war effort. While participation in the Victory Corps was voluntary, the propaganda and culture of the time definitely meant there was a certain peer pressure for participation. The following is an excerpt from the Fairfax Herald, published March 26, 1943. Quote, High School Victory Corps. Pupils in county schools organized to assist in war work. Curricula being adapted to this purpose. Reports from high school in the county show that pupils are taking much interest in work. Pupils turn their attention to subjects connected with war and relieve janitor shortage by taking over care of buildings. Fairfax County children are eager to do their part for victory. 50 to 75% of the county's 1,850 high school pupils are enrolled to date. Each Victory Corps division is responsible for specially assigned and supervised school duties such as janitorial assistance, dusting, washing, windows, etc. Repair work in buildings and on school grounds at Jefferson High School in Falls Church. The following community service activities are carried on. Air raid and fire warden service, Red Cross activities, local clerical assistance, local civilian defense work, bond and stamp sale. Principal Cox of Mount Vernon High School reports that the entire janitorial service for the school has been undertaken by the students. End quote. Well, I, I feel weird. I don't know what possessed me. Anywho, well, the article does go into more detail, but this is just to give a snapshot of school life during World War II. 
The Fairfax County Public Library's Virginia Room, in conjunction with the Library of Virginia, has been working to scan as many pre-1970 high school yearbooks as possible. Among their collection online are yearbooks from Fairfax High School from the late 1930s and early 1940s. We will provide links in the show notes so you can look for yourselves. Personally, I like reading the notes people wrote on the yearbook. Looking at it is kind of like looking at pictures just before quarantine due to COVID. It's an odd feeling realizing none of the smiling faces know what historic and generation-defining events are just around the corner. Or you can just go super dark with it and try to guess how many of them are dead now. It's a viable, if disturbing, option. World War II brought tremendous changes to the Washington, D.C. area. The growth of the federal government had a tremendous impact on Fairfax County and FCPS. During the first episode, I described Fairfax County as being basically the go-to suburb for people employed in D.C. But up until this point, I talked about Fairfax being a rural area. This marks the start of Fairfax's gradual transition from farmlands to quiet suburbs. In June 1945, there were 8,235 children enrolled in FCPS at 42 schools. And by June 1949, enrollment had increased to 12,118 children, but there were still only 42 schools in operation. School construction was hampered in the immediate post-war years due to lack of funding and construction materials like steel, glass, and brick. Desperate to find classroom space, in the spring of 1949, the Fairfax County School Board authorized plans to build four emergency schools. These schools were made of cinder blocks and contained four classrooms each. All of these buildings are still standing today, though they've been added onto many times since. And the cinder block buildings were the nice ones. During the explosion of children during the post-war baby boom, tar paper shacks were constructed. Remember those one, two, and three-room schools we got rid of back in the 1930s? Well, they're back. Except, they're nowhere near as nice. These hastily constructed classrooms looked like a garden shed and were covered with strips of tar paper on the outside. School board minutes have references to the hiring of exterminators to handle the rats that liked to live under these buildings. There was also the option of using military surplus. World War II military surplus suppliers were also called upon to combat overcrowding at schools throughout Fairfax County. This is where we have the first appearance of classroom trailers, but they don't look like any trailer you've ever seen. They were called Quonset Huts, and they looked like someone took a metal can, sliced it in half lengthwise, carved a couple of windows onto the sides, slapped a door on the front, and shoved it into the ground. They were bitter cold in the winter and sweltering hot in the summer. We'll provide some images in the show notes if you want to see for yourself. Fun fact, I actually have been educated in temporary trailers before, and trust me when I'd say it's still not particularly pleasant. I cannot impress upon you how insane the classroom situation got. Did your school have an auditorium? Not anymore. The stage and seating area became new classrooms. Does the fire station across from the school have a spare room upstairs? Boom, classroom. Does the church down the road have any rooms for Sunday school? Congratulations, you now have more classrooms. Houses just finished construction and apartment buildings still under construction? That sounds like a learning environment to me. In a broader context... (laughs) The 1930s and 40s were a time of drastic change nationwide. Between a historic economic depression and one of the most infamous wars in history, frankly, it would have been more surprising if there weren't some upsets. Many of the problems I talked about were not localized to Fairfax County Public Schools. World War II teacher shortages, lack of materials during the time immediately after the war ended, and overcrowding due to the baby boom happened all across the United States. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of FCPS for the Decades. I hope you continue listening. Next chapter is going to be big. We'll go into more detail about the issues of overcrowding in schools, the creation of middle schools as a concept, and the fallout from Brown v. Board of Education and the racial integration of FCPS's schooling system. This episode of FCPS Through the Decades was written and directed by Eric Tanhill, with script editing by Tara Wipke and Jeff Clark, and sound editing and visual art by Tara Wipke. For more information, go to fcps.edu and search using the keywords Our History.